Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 119, Sarah's Change Story. From 15 years of anorexia to complete health, contentment, and a life supporting others. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. Today I have my friend and uh, change coach, Sarah Parker, as the guest. And um, I really love this episode so much. I think as you listen, you're just going to hear, you're going to hear so much that's hopeful and that is alive and well in all of us. So Sarah um, was anorexic on a feeding tube, had um, a couple suicide attempts, was hospitalized for a lot of 15 years. Um, you know, at that time, as she tells her story, she she knew it wasn't who she was on some level, but as as it goes, our our thinking and then our expectations and then what other people are seeing in us and telling us about ourselves kind of start to just take over and they cloud our health. And that's where she was, you know, of kind of afraid to be on her own, thinking that she couldn't cope with life. And you can hear the intelligence behind everything she went through when she shares her story. Because, you know, if you are sort of afraid to grow up and you think that being sick or thin is how you get love and attention and you think you can't cope with things, well, her her mind kind of orchestrated this this perfect uh, perfect design for her to stay being taken care of. And and it didn't, you know, it, as poorly as she was for a long time, it's remarkable how things started to turn around. And it's really remarkable if you know and see her today. So I don't want to give all the details away, but she shares how she had one counselor that saw her health, that knew that she was not this disorder that knew that anything full recovery and far beyond was possible for her and didn't sit down and say, so listen, Sarah, here's how it goes. But this woman just treated her as, as if she was seeing her health. And from there, Sarah started to see it herself. And, and what I love is that Sarah now is a counselor for people with eating disorders. She's a change coach and she coaches people around eating disorders and other things. And I mean, it's just so perfect because now she's able to see their health and she knows firsthand the importance of that, which makes her an excellent coach. She knows the she knows how far that goes. It's everything. When we can see who someone truly is, they can't help but start to see it. Like it's the best thing we can do to help help them begin to wake up to it. So it's really a remarkable, um, beautiful story, a complete 180 from how her life was at one point. Um, Yeah, and I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on Changeable. Hi, Amy. Thank you for having me on. I feel really lucky to be on and to be talking with you today. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about uh, your your past and kind of how you got to where you are right now, because, you know, I know bits and pieces, but I think it's just going to be so helpful for people, for people to hear. So, yeah. So let's start with kind of, um, you, 
your history. So you had a, have a history with anorexia. Um, maybe tell us, yeah, kind of how that, (laughs) it's a big question, but like, how how did that, how did that happen? (laughs) How how did that come to be as, as you remember it today? Yeah. Well, I guess there were a few different things, but one of the things when I was young was I was overweight. And so there was some teasing and bullying and stuff at school. Um, and, and I guess back then I started very early on to think I wasn't good enough because I was overweight. Um, and so my self esteem very early on became really linked with my weight. And if my weight went up, my self esteem went down, or that's how I saw it at the time. Um, and I guess because of that, because the world started to look like quite a scary place to me because people weren't that nice. I wasn't acceptable as I was in my mind. I became more and more kind of hidden away at home. So through my teenage years, I stayed very much at home. I didn't really go out very much with friends because it was kind of safe at home. Um, and and I remember through those years, Amy, thinking because it was safe at home, I didn't want anything to change. I wanted to stay. And I can remember thinking, oh, you know, just at this birthday, let me just stay at this birthday. I won't get any older and then it'll be all right and I can manage that. And of course, I couldn't. You <laughs> know, we're all yeah. going to get older. Um, but that was really difficult for me because at 18, it was expected I'd go away to university. And of course, it did because it was, I did because it was expected. And then after university, I qualified as a podiatrist and moved back home to live with my parents and got a job. But I think what happened was my confidence was still as I saw it in my boots. There was I had no confidence. I was very much a people pleaser to I guess that was one of my tactics to try and stop people from being mean to me about my body. Um and off I went into this world of responsibility as an adult, still feeling like a child really. Um and quite quickly became overwhelmed with work because of course you know, I work in, I worked in the NHS. It was really busy. There was always more patients to be seen. And so people would say, Oh, can you just see another patient? And of course, yeah, of course I will. Um, and I just became very overwhelmed. But I think at the same time, a friend that I'd been to university with had asked me to be a bridesmaid. And of course, my response was, Well, I will if I can lose weight because that was the only way I could be on show in my mind, I guess. So I lost some weight and I had this magical figure in my mind, Amy, that I would lose weight to there and everything would be amazing. (laughs) And um, so I lost some weight for the wedding, had a really lovely wedding. It was beautiful. And I, I felt all right and then carried on losing weight. But what happened soon after that was we were in a car accident. I was driving. Um, myself, my sister and my mum. And mum was quite badly injured. But, I mean, we all came through and we're all fine. But I, for a couple of weeks, lost my appetite and my weight went down and people started to be concerned. 
And I started to quite like being people being concerned about me. It was quite a nice feeling to have people in my mind. That meant that they cared and they loved me. Yeah, They loved me anyway. I just didn't see it at the time. And so that carried on. And, and of course, you know, in the beginning, as my weight was going down, I just thought, well, you know what, I'll stop doing this when I, when I decide to. And I reached this magical figure where my life was going to be amazing, and it wasn't. So I went down again and down again and down again. And, and, and before I knew it, I was being referred to a psychiatrist. Um, and that was the beginning of 15 years of anorexia. 15 years of going into hospital, restoring some weight, leaving, coming home, losing the weight. Because actually, it was, and I can see it clearly now, and I can speak about it clearly now, but at the time, it felt very different. And I think what I believed was, number one, to be a good person, I had to be thin. Number two, to be loved and to be cared about, I had to be thin. And if I weren't unwell, what if my parents didn't look after me? What if I had to be independent? And that terrified me yeah. because I couldn't see that I could be anything else. And I think in the early days of my illness, I, I always believed I'd get well. And I always believed it was kind of a choice, but didn't quite know when I was going to make that choice in my mind. But what I didn't see was that that was going to look like it became further and further away, that choice, until eventually I was so dependent on being ill to be looked after, to kind of try and freeze time, to not have anything change, that I couldn't get well, if, even if I'd have tried to in my mind. And throughout that, I'd lost hope of recovery I'd lost hope of anything being able to be any different and I had, had always believed that actually when my dad died I would have to die because I couldn't survive without him I was really close to him and he did everything for me whilst I was unwell which I know he did from huge love and yet didn't help me to see that I yeah was healthy and could be okay yeah and lo and behold in 2005 he did die and I was just beside myself it was awful awful and of course the first thing I did was lose weight first thing I did which meant that the following year I ended up in hospital um and throughout that journey of being in and out hospital um you know I'd never, ever managed to think, I'm all right. I can be all right. I'd restored weight, but hadn't learned that it was nothing to do with my weight. So I was still using my weight to try and, and manage life. Yeah. So that, oh my gosh. So there's so such a, a shift there that happened from um, losing weight, liking the attention, starting to equate it with love and protection and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm curious about like the first time that you went to the hospital or the first time someone said, okay, this is, a, this is an illness, this is an illness, this is yeah. an issue. Because you said you kind of always knew, oh, I'll, I'll get out of it. This is temporary. And so you didn't. So there was a slide there. Do you remember yeah. kind of how, how that went? I think it was just over time when I started to see, well, I'm not getting out of this. I'm not, you know, nothing's changing in my, in my head. I, I can't see anything different. But I started to lose that hope because I thought that the change would come from my head, my thinking. I would think something different. I would do something different. I would be different. But I think part of, part of that slide was also a crossover between thinking that the eating disorder would keep me safe in some bizarre way, but also then seeing that the eating disorder kept people close to me in my mind. Mm. If I weren't ill, what if they don't love me anymore? So there was a a really subtle and, and not obvious to me at the time, but a really subtle change from I need to be thin to be acceptable to I need to be poorly to have people love me. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's so big to see because it's no longer about, you know, you weren't going to have an insight that, that makes you comfortable eating or see, oh, it doesn't matter what, how much I weigh, or it wasn't about any of that anymore. No. And, and that's what I think makes it, I'm sure you see this because you work in this field now, which we'll talk about, but you know, it's like, um, gosh, it so quickly gets away from anything that has anything to do with food and weight and body and and hitting those as logic points just goes to deaf ears. It does nothing for someone because it's not about that at all. No. And it never was, Amy. I yeah. just never saw that back then. It had nothing to do with how I looked, what I weighed, because it was everything to do with how I perceived myself. And and part of that misperception of myself had been learned from very young, I'm not acceptable because people are telling me so because I'm heavier than them. Yeah. Uh, and I really got caught up in that and trying to change my self-esteem by trying to change some number on a scale was never, ever going to work. And I can absolutely see that now. And I share that regularly with people who I work with. But at the time, bizarrely, it made absolute sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it is bizarre and it's also so fascinating to see all the logic, you know, all the intelligence in a way. Um, Everything you're saying is like, oh, well, so Sarah felt a lack and this is universal. We feel a lack, we feel a problem and we find a solution. Look how resourceful we are. (laughs) You know, it led you to near death several times, but look how resourceful we are in always finding a solution to the thing that we perceive as the lack. So even when you were so unwell and you had to have, you know, all of this care, hey, on some level, you were getting exactly what you thought you needed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, in some ways, you know, I, of course, I, I, I don't even want to say I lost 15 years of my life because I didn't. I still lived them. It just in a bit of a bizarre and unhappy way. But those 15 years, something got me through. I still survived it. 
yeah. you know, and a combination of pleasing people and starving myself at some level um, got me through. Um, and, and you know, Amy, I mean, I, I hope this is okay to say, and I don't want it to sound upsetting to people, but there were two attempts when I seriously tried to end my life and ended up in intensive care and had to be brought back to life. And I don't know what it was that got me through that, but something did. And I'm so grateful it did. So grateful because everything in my mind was saying, you don't want to live. But there was something more that was saying, hang on a minute. No, you keep going. You're not going anywhere just yet. Thank goodness. Do you remember in those really dark moments, any any glimmer of of light or any bit of, are you sure you want to do this? Or was it really just, were you 100% certain at the point, at those points? I guess on one occasion, I was absolutely certain, absolutely certain in my mind. But I guess what was also there that I can recognize now was a real sadness for my mum and dad. And perhaps that was the thing. That yeah. kept me around. Perhaps that was that glimmer of light that I didn't see as a glimmer of light, but it was. Mm-hmm. It was because, you know, you've got to find something important in life, haven't you, to keep going for? And, yeah. and I, my mind hadn't found that, yeah. but it was there for me, sure enough. And yeah. it's really beautiful that even though it wasn't about you, it wasn't like you, you just couldn't see that you were okay or you deserved to live or any of that, but you could see, you could still feel love and you could still yeah. feel it for them. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the thing is, I, I, I'm not sure we get to choose our reasons for staying alive in times like that. They're just there. And for me now, how I see it is that comes from wisdom. I didn't see it like that then because I didn't have this understanding. But, you know, the reasons, if I'd, because I guess my self-esteem was so low, to try and persuade myself that some light would come from staying alive for me was going to be really tricky. So somewhere in my wisdom came some thoughts about mom and dad you know yeah. and it was kind of worth it for them <laughs> yeah yeah right? how do you, how do you this is jumping ahead a little and I want to go back to your story but I'm so curious how do you reconcile um what I know you deeply know now and what you share with people that we we are made of health that this is yeah. always there if not accessible in a moment consciously mm-hmm. it is who we are with with all of that, I mean, how how do those coexist? Like, how do you see that now? I mean, the way I see it is my health got me through despite ravaging my body, despite starving myself to a point where I was being tube fed. I was, you know, really not seeing that I had any health, not seeing that I could have health, not seeing that I had any potential. You know, I tried to end my life and yet, my body kept going, you know, something in me. And it certainly wasn't, you know, the last half of my 15 years, I'd say, certainly wasn't my mind that knew that I could keep going. Yeah. Because my mind was really, you know, trying to destroy my health. But my health was there because here I am 
you know, here I am living a life that I love, that I'm ever thankful for. And even though I couldn't recognize it, it was working for me. Because it sure as anything, and it wasn't my mind that got me through that. It was way beyond that. Yeah. What about if, I love that. What about if someone says, um, well, if if we have such this amazing design and we have all this health, why would your mind go there and be there for so much of 15 years? Well, because it had created, it, I mean, the way I would see it is in the beginning, it learned a very effective way of trying to protect me in the, okay, I tell you what, starve yourself, you'll get love. Um, please people, they won't be mean to you. All of that was going on. And, and so because those thoughts helped initially, my mind kept bringing them back up because that's what our minds do, right? Yeah. They're not that clever. They just bring back stuff that at some point has maybe been helpful. But I guess there came a point fairly quickly where it wasn't helpful, but my, my mind still kept doing it. Not because of any other reason than that's just what it did. You know, it was trying, bless it, to help me. It was misguided, but it didn't know anything else, you know, because it doesn't have, for me, it doesn't have that same intelligence that our wisdom has. You know, our wisdom has, you know, the whole universe to pull from. My mind just had this collection of thoughts that had been bringing back again and again and again, and it kind of didn't know what else to do. But I didn't either know that those thoughts didn't have to be taken notice of, that they weren't my best guide at the time. I yeah. thought that that's all I had to guide me. It's so big to see that, to see that it is a, a, a tool, a machine, you know, doing the best that it can. And, yeah. and, it, and it looks really confusing to us, but only because we've been sort of taught, I think, to put so much emphasis on our mind and our brain. And it's... Yeah. It's the best thing we have, you know, and it's wonderful. Yeah. It's a tool, but I love what you're saying. Like, no, it's it's only going to do the best it can do, and that's always going to be limited. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, my body was doing its best to show me that wisdom. It was saying, I'm really cold. It was saying, my bones are struggling. You know, I'm losing calcium. I'm losing density in my bones. It was saying, you know, I'm growing hair to try and keep me warm. And... Um, it was saying, I am starving, and I ignored all that, and that's my health. That was my health speaking to me, and yet I went back to my mind. I went back to my thoughts because that's the only place I knew to go to yeah. at that time. So were there some pivotal moments um, you can remember when yeah. things started to shift? Absolutely. I guess... One of the pivotal moments that I didn't, you know, you don't see them at the time, I don't think. I certainly didn't, Amy. But when my dad died, it was almost like, okay, I've got to be an adult here. <laughs> got to learn to live in this world. I didn't know how, but I knew that I did. And isn't that really interesting that until that moment, I thought I'd have to die. But something came up from somewhere that said, you keep going, keep going and you live your life. I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I saw that that's what I had to do. 
And even with that, Amy, I, my weight dropped because it was my way of coping with his death and the loss. And I ended up back in hospital. And in hospital, on that very, that was my last admission to hospital. And um, I guess I had a support worker at the time who totally saw my health. She, I mean, I was very quiet back then. I was very shy and reserved and a, a bit of a good girl. And, and she saw beyond that and she saw my ability to be tough. And she, she'd do things like she'd take me shopping and I wouldn't go anywhere on my own. I never touched money because I thought I was going to get germs. And she'd take me shopping and she'd leave me in the queue on my own. And I'd stand there panicking and she'd watch and she'd leave me. And I survived. And that taught me such a lot. But also, on that final admission, I was speaking to somebody who said to me, just in one session I was having, have you ever thought about counselling, Sarah? <laughs> I laughed. And I said, what are you talking about? I've had loads of counselling, of course. And she said, no, no, you becoming a counsellor. And I didn't have the language for it then, Amy, but what I see now is she totally spoke to my health. Rather than focusing on my eating disorder and what that was about, she focused on the healthy, thriving me that could do so much more. And I heard that that day. I really heard it. And I mean, that day I didn't know how my life would end up, but I heard I can do more than this. I can be more than this. And I can create a life for me that I never had a clue that I could do before. And, and in seeing my health that day, I started to see my health. And don't get me wrong, the first few years weren't that easy, but I, I went back to university. I retrained as a counsellor. I met my now partner, Brian. Um, we moved in together. I got a job when I qualified working in the NHS. And even back then, you know, in the first sort of five years after my last hospital admission, there were times when I didn't always see my health and felt quite shaky about it. But even when I didn't see it was carrying me through, you know, I never went back to the unit as a patient. I never, you know, I, I, of course, there were times when I thought losing weight would be a good idea. But then my health kicked in. <laughs> my wisdom kicked in and said, hang on a minute. And I never did, you know. And so life went on as I started to see that there were so many other possibilities. And about three years ago, I was working in the NHS, um, but had been doing some work for the um, eating disorder service that I had been work that I'd been treated in. And they contacted me and said, "Would I speak to a colleague of mine, Mary Franklin Smith, who wanted?" to talk to me about, um, oh, it's four years ago, actually, wanted to talk to me about some kind of new paradigm that she found for working in mental health. 
And they wanted me to know as an ex-patient what I thought about it. And and I met with Mary and she shared it. And that's the beginning of all of this, Amy, because in that I saw it had an explanation for why something just woke me up when that, you know, when that psychologist asked me about counselling. I saw that it was my health that came to the surface again and, and that I could see it clearly. It had always been there. I just hadn't known it. I hadn't seen it. And I started to really see that working in mental health services was going to be different for me because here was an understanding that was absolutely universal. It didn't matter what the diagnosis, it didn't matter what the person, who the person was, what their background, what you know they'd been through. This was going to be something that I could see that I wanted to share with people because... I could see how how it was the truth for me and how how it could be incredibly helpful. So about a year after that, I then got a job working in the eating disorder service where Mary works. She's my colleague now. We work together and we share this. And it's not, you know, it's not been without difficulties sharing this in the NHS and you know, you came over and helped us to do some teaching with that. And, and it isn't without difficulties because it's the NHS is a big machine that's not great at change. And, and understandably, the NHS wants to see that something works before we share it. Yeah. So it's not been easy and that's been the process. But for me, working back in that service where I once was a patient and now I'm a therapist, just really makes me see anything's possible. Any, and I, you know, I'm not afraid to share where I came from. I'm not ashamed and I'm not afraid to share where I came from with, with people that I work with now because, because actually, for me, it's about saying we all have help. We all have the ability to connect to our help at a much deeper level and, and use that for our for our lives, for our guide, rather than our minds. And so for me, it is about saying there's hope for everybody, everybody. And, you know, I used to have, I think probably one of my favourite phrases used to be before all this, I can't cope with this, can't cope with this. You know, this is too much, I can't cope. And now, well, of course I can cope. I don't know what coping will look like, you know, and I might, I might cry, I might be angry, I might whatever. I don't need to define coping apart from I just get through it. And I think that's so helpful for me, for a lot of people, that let's not describe coping that has to be some graceful journey through. We're just getting through the best way we can. And I think now, I, as well as working in the NHS in the eating disorder service, I do some private work and, and... that's come about after doing my training with you, Amy, and I did the change coach training because, well, do you know what? Interestingly, I don't know why I did it. It just, I did it because I love the way that you work. I love the way that you share. And I, I wanted to get curious to see if there was anything more for me to learn and to see. And, and it has just deepened my my grounding, my understanding so much that now it's really hard 
to understand how I ever worked without this. And so in my private work, I work much more from the change coach point of view, from, from you know, working in this way because I see that it helps. I see that, you know, it's just so simple and yet it's just the truth. Yeah. I love... Um there's that such a huge theme in there about seeing their health. And as you know, yeah. we talk about that a lot. And, but, but to see that that was a huge part of your turnaround years and years and years ago yeah. without, without even realizing what had happened with no words around it. it. And I'm sure your counselor at the time wasn't like, oh, she wasn't trained to see the health in your patients. You know, <laughs> oh, she, no. she just truly and honestly saw yeah. that there was more available to you and Absolutely. shared that with you. And, a couple things I love, but like one thing I love about that is that it woke something up in you that started this change happening, even though your mind didn't, didn't get on board, you know? So your mind still was thinking, lose weight, don't gain, don't think yeah. I can cope. you you know, your mind yeah. was going to the same places, but, yeah. but something deeper had been woken up. And I just think that is enormous for people to see because mm-hmm. we can get so in this way of thinking, like you mentioned earlier, that it's going to look this way or we have to have these insights or this will become comfortable and that'll become easier. And it doesn't work like that at all. It really doesn't. You know, the amount of people that have said to me, well, you know, I'm waiting for that moment where I know that I don't have to do this anymore or I'm waiting for you to say something and it'll change. And I just think, you know, it's never... When we wait for a moment in our minds, we're unlikely to see anything magical. It's just more repetitive stuff, innocently, but it is. It's when we get quiet in our minds and when we see beyond that, that we see the magic of what we actually, who we are and what we can do. And I think, you know, for me, I'm not, my job isn't, and I see this so clearly now, my job isn't to make somebody better. It's to sit beside somebody while they see that they have everything inside them to live the life that is what they want to live. You know, it's not my job to give them anything other than my time and my love. It's my job to help them uncover what they need because it's all in them for all of us. And it's so clear from everything you shared that that was, it was never missing, but that was the thing you didn't see. And that's Mm. the thing from a very early age that we don't see. We think we need to look a certain way or have people talk to us a certain way and all of that. And it just snowballs into, into coping mechanisms to deal with what looks like a real lack. But what you're saying is it's not only how we, we support people in recovery, it's what we all need from the time we're babies, you know, to just see this already. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we always did have it, you know? Um, But I think because we grow up in a world where we spend such a long time learning at school and in our intellect, and that's really praised that we, you kind of lose sight a bit of what's beyond that, what's within us all that has the innate capacity to care for us within, to, to get us through whatever. When we lose sight of that and go to our intellect or to our mind, that's when it can get really tricky. And it really did for me. Um, and 
And for me, you know, there was a lot of time in treatment where, well, you've got to change how you think or, and, and I see it very differently these days. I see that I don't get to choose how I think really. I get to choose a little bit of what I respond, how I respond to it. But what I can do is change my relationship with my thinking. And that, that has been so important for me just to see that yeah, I'm thinking stuff again and I'm feeling stuff, so I'm really in my thinking right now. But I also know that that thinking is ever-changing and it's only ever creating an image that my thoughts are making. It isn't the truth. It isn't how life is. It's just how things are coming through to me in that moment. And it's been able to step aside from that and know that, yeah, I can get caught up in those stories, of course I can and they pass and when they pass I see something different and the the difference in that and the difference of being able to give myself some space and, and for all of us to give ourselves some time for that wisdom to come up rather than just crazily getting caught up in more and more and more thinking just has been so important so important for me yeah I love um too when you met Mary. We'll give Mary a shout out because we love her. She's amazing. Oh, Mary is just the most beautiful human being. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And she, she's, she's shown you this, you know, and then you've gone on to help so many people. And I know Mary has helped so many people. I love just that piece of the story too. I just love seeing the ripple effects, you know, like who knew one person from one person. Yeah. But I love that piece where it's like, once you came across this bigger understanding, now now it makes sense. Now there's a language for it and it makes sense how things worked. And I think that's really important to point out that you didn't need that. I mean, you were helped before you saw that. But <laughs> once we see it, because we all are, we have people in our lives, you know, thankfully, who do see our health and allow us to see new things. So that's that's how the whole world is going on, yeah. right? And people are helping people all over the place. But but there is something really special that happens once we see that, oh, yeah, this is actually how we work. It gets to come to life in, a, in such a, a more real way and it helps everything kind of make sense around it. I really think so. And I think, you know, I think before this understanding and not having the language, I kind of, I don't know, it didn't feel my recovery was hard to explain. It was hard to say. And now, well, of course, of course, this is, you know, this is why, this is how, because, you know, my health was there all along. I just finally managed to really connect to it and uncover it. Um, But I think as well, quite often when we're working with people, and I know certainly me in the past, when I was working before this understanding, I would really be positive and see that people could well and now I see yes they may well be suffering but the very fact that they're still here they're still going says that they have help not that they can have help at some point in the future if they recover but that they already have it and let's speak to that you know that's so different and just so important I think yeah do you think that's why um with anorexia a lot, it's 
still, I think a lot of people see that as something that's not really easily treatable. And for a lot of people, they will never get over it, right? They might be out of hospital, they might, you know, but but it is seen as one of those things. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Is it just so hard for for people to see the health in someone who's struggling or what do you think? I mean, I think so because I think, you know, visibly it's a very visible illness. Yeah. And see that somebody is, you know, very poorly. Their body is skeletal. They, they're very emaciated. It's really hard to look at a body that looks like that and see health. But actually, you know, and so we speak a lot to the illness and we, I think we inadvertently then keep guiding people back to their illness, back to their illness, back to their illness. And actually, if we can see beyond what that patient, what that person shows us in their body, yes, we see their suffering and I'm not saying ignore that, but what I am saying is just because we can't see a physical representation of health in that minute doesn't mean that health isn't there because every human being has wisdom. Every human being has the ability in any moment to see something new, to experience something new and to change things. And sadly, not everybody does, but everybody could. And I guess that for me is the thing. We see illness, especially with anorexia. And because people look quite frail, we treat them very gently, don't we? We don't treat them. And and my support worker on my final admission, she didn't treat me like some frail little person. She treated me as if I was some robust woman that could deal with everything. She knew. She didn't have this language. She didn't see this in the same way, but something in her knew that I was more than a skeletal body. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's partly one of the problems with anorexia. It's so easy to see the illness. Yeah. But there's always help there. Always. It's just supporting that person to see it. Yeah. I love it's it's so huge and it just makes me so excited for what you're doing and Mary and you know people yeah. Being able to work with people who it is tough to see their health, but when we know it's there, they can't not feel that. No matter yeah. what the conversations around how we're working with them, it is that that is everything. Is being able Absolutely. to see that. And and I think sometimes you know people have said, well, you know, you're not you're you're kind of ignoring or you're minimizing their suffering by saying, well, they've got help, and not at all. Not at all am I minimizing the suffering they have in that moment with their illness. Yeah. But I'm also looking to magnify the health that they also have because, you know, they're alive, they're still going, they're still living, they're still waiting to see something because they haven't given up. And so let's let's look in that direction. And it's so great that you you have seen this so firsthand, you know, like you're just such a good, uh, just a, such a perfect example of, of yes, this is not a life sentence. The thinking, the managing around it, the yeah. insecurities that it was built around, none of it. I mean, I look at you now, I didn't know you then, but like you were just so normal, healthy around <laughs> food. Like you're just like, a, you know, and yeah. I could just imagine yeah. from hearing your story and knowing your life now, just what a huge difference in a I mean, would you say that like a complete recovery? Oh, absolutely. I, 
I don't recognize myself in that person anymore. Of course, I am that person and all parts of me, you know. Um, but actually, the thinking that I had then, and, and that's something that a lot of people say, well, even if I recover, maybe I'll never, I, I'll always have to be careful. I'll always have to manage my eating disorder because, you know, the thoughts are always going to be there. Well, that's not true. There are no thoughts for me. Of course, I look in the mirror some mornings, Amy, and think, oh, don't much like that. But it doesn't mean that I'm looking in the mirror and thinking I don't like myself or that I need to lose weight. Or it's just a bit like if I taste something that I don't much like the taste of. And it changes. And a minute later, I might see something different. You know, it's about recognizing that how we see the world is always, always filtered through our thinking. It always comes from within. And what I'm seeing in that mirror is never about how I look. It's always about how I'm thinking in that moment. But I don't ever, ever worry about what I'm eating. If I like the taste of it, I eat it. You know, when I was unwell, there was so much about I can only eat at certain times. I can only eat certain things. I can only eat certain calories. All of the rules that I had, and I don't have any now, you know, and it's such a sense of, joy and freedom and I guess you know I'm always aware that when I was unwell and people said that I think I can't deal with that you know it sounds amazing but I don't I can't deal with that and what I always think is the wisdom of living the life I have now comes now it wasn't back then I hope I only had the wisdom moment to moment to moment that I had and that served me to get to the next moment and the next moment and the next moment so because, you know, maybe recovery for somebody looks really quite scary because it's so different from when they are, I would always say, trust that when you get to that point, there'll always be wisdom to support you there, even if you can't see it right now where you are. Yeah. Just let it be and trust it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> I love this conversation. I know it's going to help so many people. I mean, there's just so many... So many pieces in this that are 100% universal, you know, that we don't need to think our way to step by step. Like we don't need to see how it's going to go and, and how you know, even when our mind is, is try, trying its best to help us in ways that aren't helpful, there's another place that can be waking up at the exact same time. And that's just, just so hopeful, so huge for people to see. And I, and, and I, think, I think that's what I want people to see, that there's always hope yeah. because we always have help. You know, we don't always see it and experience it, but it's there, sure enough. And that means that there's always hope. Oh. I just love talking to you about this. I, <laughs> I know, it's amazing. Today. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, always, always. And if anybody gets in touch and wants any support or wants to just send me a, a, a note, just, just direct them to me. Yeah. More happy to speak to we will. And Sarah's an amazing coach and she works with people with anorexia, but all kinds of other things as well. And you can hear why, you know, again, I mean, we, I think we all get that, that when someone sees us for the real us, especially when we can't see it, just what's possible from that. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. People need support through change now more than ever. And people, maybe you, also need and want fulfilling work that allows us to make an excellent living, being able to work from anywhere in the world with anyone in the world, 
including working remotely, which I have to say has been pretty handy these past several months. If you want to help people end habits or find freedom from anxiety and needless worry, I can teach you how in the Change Coach Training and Certification Program. In the Change Coach Training Program, you'll spend six months immersing deeply in this new paradigm with me and with an incredible group of people that quickly become like family. You'll get to observe and debrief a ton of coaching before doing a ton of coaching yourself with support and feedback the whole way through. You'll leave the program feeling confident and ready to work with others and with the option of becoming a certified change coach. This program is really unlike any other in terms of the feedback, guidance, and support you receive the entire way through. You can check out all the details at drameyjohnson.com slash coach training. Watching people wake up to a whole new experience of life is the most fulfilling work in the world. And having steady work that you can do remotely offers huge peace of mind for you. I would really love to help you make this a reality. 